Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the culture of skateboarding in all its shapes or forms, from wallies and power slides on crusty industrial architecture to switch tray flips down flawless LA spots and everything in between. Today's guest is one of my all-time favorite skate videographers. For the last 15 years, Patrick Wallner has traveled across Europe and Asia to bring his visual traveling crew, composed of skaters from all around the globe, to the most unusual places for skating such as Kazakhstan, Iran, Madagascar, India, Mongolia to name a few, and has produced many beautiful skatementaries, as he likes to call them, out of these trips. He's currently living in Hong Kong working on different projects while waiting for traveling to be safe again to jump on another adventure with his friends. So here's my conversation with Patrick. I hope you enjoy it. Can we maybe start by you uh, like introducing yourself in a few words, uh, d uh, just about you know growing up and everything? Uh, I know uh, I, I saw in some interviews that you uh, were born in Germany, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That your your parents are from Hungary, uh, mm. but you lived in the States for for a long time. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. It's not very linear, but. To sum it up in a nutshell, I was born in Germany to parents who have then defected Soviet Hungary and spent most of my childhood in Germany and New York. And for the last 15 years, I've been specializing in documenting, as we like to call it, skatementaries, which focuses on exploring skateboarding in various parts of Europe and Asia and Africa. And on the side, I also started a production house here called Postcard Productions, which is run here in Hong Kong with my partner, Tommy Zhao, who's in Shanghai. And with that, we try to tell stories and do commercial works uh, focused out here in the East. Okay, awesome, yeah. So when you, when you arrived in the States, you, you went to New York City or where, where were you based when you, when you arrived in the States? So we flew in right I think on the day that Princess Diana died, so I think it was 1997, last day of uh, last day of August. I think we flew in. We were in uh, New York, in Manhattan, on the Upper East Side, on 88 and Lexington for like two years, and then. Uh, It's a bit complicated with the timeline because I went back to Germany for half a year, but then in the end we moved to Long Island. So just like an hour and a half. Yeah, an hour and a half from, from, from downtown New York City. Okay. It must have been quite a change coming from Germany and getting to New York City. It must, yeah, it must have been a pretty, pretty yeah, wild. Like to, I uh, didn't travel that much. Uh, it was the first time I was in an airplane. I, I think the town that I was living in in Germany didn't have buildings higher than 10 floors or, you know, it was like, it was just day and night. I, I, I couldn't really believe it. I didn't speak any English either. So like Hungarian is my mother language. Then I learned German and then my parents pretty much tossed me into a fourth grade in the U.S. and I just had to learn English. So I think it was the best way. And I was that age too. I think your brain is like a sponge when you're 10. So I just picked up a lot of things quite easily at that time. And Yeah, it was. Uh, I was just lucky to have that opportunity, just uh, to to be able to go and live in the U.S. for that long. But yeah, there was a lot of like uh, homesickness too. I missed Germany a lot, so I went back to Germany for for like a half a year, and then came back, and then back again, like a couple back and forth, and then more or less stayed in in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, actually, wh where were you born? Where where did you live in Germany? I, I didn't uh, catch that. Was was that in the western or the eastern part of Germany? 
So when my parents defected from Hungary, they had to go through, uh, they just packed their bags, uh, and this is before I was born, and they went to uh, East Germany first, and then they pretended they were just visiting a relative in the West, which we were allowed to do, but then they defected, and then they got citizenship later. And uh, I was born in a small town called Tübingen. It's like a university town, not far from Stuttgart. All right. Okay. And so wh when did you start skating in the middle of all this? Was that already in Germany or did it start in the U.S.? In the U.S., right before 9-11, my other uncle planned a little trip to Croatia. And on the way, on the highway, when we were going, we just stopped at like a gas station. He bought me a, a full complete skateboard for my birthday. And um, that's when it kind of all started. I saw one other kid on the island uh, do a kickflip and that really sparked me a lot so I took my skateboard back to the US and that was yeah just just right around the bend of uh, September 11th uh, 2001 and um, yeah it became became like a good obsession around that time too because I just remember like memories of like the whole family being stuck in front of the TV and you know I was still pretty young I was like 14 and didn't really quite understand why, you know, America was like going into Afghanistan. I was still a bit oblivious to that stuff, but at least I had a skateboard to uh, just go into the driveway, practice the nose grind, 270 flips, because tray flips were impossible at that time. <laughs> but uh, in the end, it was just a really good tool and like yeah. just a remedy for, for what was going on in, you know, in the outside, sure. world, which was a lot of panic around that time. So, so you started around 13, 14 years old, I guess, since yeah, you said 14. it was 2001, around there? Yeah. Okay. Did you um, uh, try to get sponsors or, or stuff like that? Or, or did skating just always stay something really fun and, and that you weren't, you weren't concerned with uh, trying to pursue a career of some sort in skateboarding? Or? I don't think that I ever really thought I could get to that level. But there was a time, maybe I, I learned really fast. Like I, I, I got my first kickflip within two weeks and I think a tray flip was like a half a year and then I was just exponentially growing and then it just like flattened out. I think I just didn't have the balls to like jump down stair sets too much and I ollied a nine within my first year of skating but then it just didn't really... Uh, I was just scared. I broke my wrist. I like opened my shin up and I was just always a little too scared to just commit to something bigger. But um, yeah, so it always stayed like a, a fun way to express myself. And at that time already, I was uh, filming a lot with like my mom's camera and it just slowly evolved to the point where I was getting more happiness of just capturing the skating than actually doing it. Like I was, mm -hmm. I was still like learning new tricks and, and having fun with it. But at that time, maybe around 2003 or 2004, I figured out how to create this uh, fisheye with like a clip-on fisheye that I found online for really cheap. And yeah. I made a tube for it to make it that vignetting because I always thought like the VX1000 vignetting was always so beautiful and you can go so close to this shoe and the tricks look so big. And um, I think I got more obsessed about the way how to capture skateboarding than it just transition to to filmmaking more or less yeah 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 uh, and so uh, what age were you when you started filming was that right as you started skating or or was that a little yeah. bit later well at first we didn't really have a camera that was working so i remember i used my webcam so i would have to bring my laptop or the computer or desktop at that time to the window to film my tricks <laughs> we got this small little zoom canon zoom camera Mm -hmm. And I was just borrowing a lot from my parents. And then around 2003 and 2004, I would do uh, small trips to Paris. 
by myself and with some friends. So this time I was living in Germany again, more or less, because I moved back for like a, a year or two. Okay. Yeah, so I would just hop on a train or my friend would drive out there, my friend Ali Schneider. We were just doing these little uh, frequent trips to Paris to like skate the same spot that was like Flo Marfang and Alex Carolino and everyone was skating and uh, they don't give a fuck about us, uh, the Lord's video. Yeah, like Be Bercy, Le Dome, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Le Dome for sure was a, a place we hung out a lot around 2003 and 2004 and then bar obviously also Barcelona because th around that time it started becoming more of the mecca for skateboarding. So uh, yeah, just uh, did some odd jobs, worked in supermarkets, made some money and then uh, saved up enough to buy airplane tickets and we were staying in youth hostels with my friends uh, and mm -hmm. very memorable times, fun, fun times when Barcelona was still fresh and you know, yeah. undiscovered. Yeah, it was uh, magical around that time and uh, that's more or less when I started focusing more on the the filming aspect and I just got more out of editing everything together so like I would come back home to Germany and I had to go back to school but then I would edit everything together and yeah that's it just enticed me a lot around that time yeah 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 so did, did you um did you go to like a, a specific like art school or something to learn more about filmmaking or or did you pretty much learn all all of it on your own I did later, I went to like a contemporary media practice course in London around uni time, but I didn't go to school for the filming that I've learned during skate filming. It's mainly just trial and error. And then um, when I got a bit older, when I was 17 or 18, I uh, started going into New York City a lot. So when I was back in New York and um, I was filming basketball games at that time at my school. So like my, my art teacher knew that I was filming a lot and uh, some parents were looking for a, a filmer to film their kids doing basketball, like uh, playing high school basketball tournaments around Long Island. So mm -hmm. I at that time had a VX and I started filming these uh, games and I was making DVDs for these parents and I had a full on like small factory just producing like DVDs of the certain games we were filming with each cover being of the kid who was playing on the front cover. Oh, so. I had to do a bunch of photoshopping, but it was like $20 a DVD. And um, that's when good. I noticed <laughs> that there's some good money to be done with that. And which later mm -hmm. transitioned with like visual traveling trips that we sold on DVD. So um, yeah, through DVD sales and through filming these basketball games, I had enough money to go to New York City over the weekends. And then I somehow became friends with Billy Rohan around that time because right. I was mm -hmm. at, at 12th and A, like this uh, skate yep. spot where, um, everyone skates in the Lower East Side. I just bumped roads with Billy and I think he saw my dedication and he let me move into his place. So I was like living on the weekends on his couch and filming him. And at that point I was like still so young and uh, mm -hmm. I was just blown away. I mean, he was a, a legend around that time more or less already in the making. Yeah. And because he, he's a little bit older, right? He's like around 40, I guess now or something. Yeah, 2004. Five. He, it was his twenty-five-fifth birthday. So yeah, he should be. Uh, he should like 40, be forty. Forty-one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He was always very uh, nice to me, and uh, he just more or less used me like his personal filmer. So I would, <laughs> I would have to film like random things that were going around. I mean, even when Harold Hunter died, he asked me to like film the the funeral, and and then oh, yeah. he had some crazy ideas. He just wanted to like have snowball fights from his rooftop, and he just, <laughs> I was like, 
I was in for it all. I'm like, all right, Billy, whatever yeah. you want, I'll film it. And it was cool because around that time, there's a, a lot of other Florida skaters that I was uh, really close with, like Vincent Centelli, James McGinnis. These are all people from Florida that just moved up to New York City. And uh, mm -hmm. they taught me a lot about how to use a fisheye properly, how to film you know where you have the center of the spot in the in the frame and then the skater coming in so I, I learned more from just the older skaters who knew how it worked and then i just picked it up along the way mm -hmm. yeah that's sick it's funny that you mentioned billy rohan because um, i actually um wrote to uh, nestor and also walker ryan yesterday yeah i told them i was going to talk with you and I, i asked them if they had like some questions or like jokes that they wanted to share with you and And actually, I think Nestor mentioned that you had spent quite some time with Billy Rohan skating and filming him and everything, and that I should ask you about that, so. Oh, there's too much. I mean, Billy is just, he could write volumes. He's, he's just a character. He is so yeah. much a... Uh... Legend, yeah. Yeah, he's just a person. Unfortunately, you know, he's he also suffered a lot with bipolarism. And right. Yeah, I remember he talked about it in an article uh, uh, not too long ago, right? Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I heard about it then. I didn't know about it before, but yeah. Yeah, he uh, he wasn't very open about it while he was going through it, and I think he once Vice did a piece, or a couple years later, it, when it was more accepted to talk about stuff like this, he he opened up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's, you know, he, he got in a mental institution in, in Germany. He was thrown into one in uh, New York. And I at that time, I was actually living on his couch and he just didn't come home one day. And then I had to call his mom in Florida and she came down and we would visit him. And, and it was just really sad. Like he, yeah. he was just just a person who shouldn't be drinking. And, uh, you know, sometimes with like the someone like Harold passing away, he just He just fell into a little bit of a black hole and um, yeah. yeah it's uh, it's not easy for him and but there was faces you know where everything was normal and he was just we were going through the streets of new york getting amazing footage and then there was times when uh nothing made sense like he was making t-shirt designs with jam uh, taken through a straw and making <laughs> it while he has a t-shirt on him like he just had the craziest ideas but i think that's just billy rohan I hope you get to talk to him one day. He's a, he's, yeah. he's a legend. I have a lot to thank for him. Mm -hmm. Cool. So uh, when did the visual traveling start? Basically, um, wh when did you come up with the name and when did, did it become a thing? Basically, I mean, you, you, you mentioned about starting traveling, uh, first going to Paris and everything. And uh, how, when did it actually become, become more uh, official, so to speak? Well, the whole reason why I came back to the U.S. was in Germany, there was a... Uh, 13 years of schooling at the school that I was at and um, I figured wow if I come back to New York I can just do high school and you know it's like multiple choice tests and all I wanted to do was move to uh, Barcelona at that time because I was already going on frequent trips but uh, I just thought the only way that I could really progress like my career with uh, skate filming was to be where everyone is at you know yeah and um, Around that time, I bumped roads with Claravel, uh, Anthony Claravel, who used to film for Form One, right. a dear friend of mine still. And uh, he told me when I was like, I think 17, 18 or 19, he's, he told me like, wow, you could film for Form One. And that's when that was like just a trigger. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it that he would say that to me because I was watching him traveling with Kenny Reed and in Southeast mm -hmm. Asia in issue 62 just a couple months ago and then now he's telling me that I could uh, film for Form One because I filmed this trick with Billy. He did like a fakey 270 back nose blunt slide 270 out. So like what Rob Welsh did in, uh, in Fully Flared, I think. 
Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that was like, it felt like gold. I remember after yeah. we landed it, I was like, I took the tape out and I, I sealed it and uh, I, I showed it to Clairval later and, and he liked the way I filmed it. And um, yeah, it was weird because at that time I didn't think that was possible that I could be filming for these videos that I was looking up to. But yeah, then I decided to come back to Long Island, finished up school. I finished in, in January of 2007 and just flew over to Barcelona with a friend and got an apartment like by Barceloneta on the beach and then just started filming with the locals there. And um, I think that's more or less when visual traveling started because that's when I started meeting all of these characters that became part of visual traveling afterwards. So like I, I started working with the Adidas team. I started filming with like Lem Villamin and with Raul Navarro and all these guys that were on the Adidas team filming for Diagonal. And then uh, they housed me and then they introduced me to Michel Makrot, who uh, yeah. became like, you know, one of my best friends. So that's, I would say that was the time when I could totally focus on just filming skateboarding on the streets, being out all day with the VX. And soon that little drive towards Shenzhen came upon where mm -hmm. uh, everyone is talking about the marble in Shenzhen. You know, the, the marble in China is endless. It's perfect. You don't get kicked out. And then around that time, I think 2007 is also the first time that myself, Josh, Zickard and Danny Hockman, uh, we flew to uh, Shenzhen to, to film some stuff for visual traveling, like for, for like my website. And yeah, it slowly evolved. Like these are the very early stages. But then um, over the years, it uh, really morphed together when we decided to do the 10,000 kilometers trip, which was at that time, like the, the benchmark for like how much skateboarding can we endure? <laughs> in one trip because i started planning that trip i started talking to maring who's done the the trans-siberian before and kirill korobkov a russian uh, friend of mine and you know it seemed like we could do it in a couple weeks but i was like why don't we just um try to do it like uh, for a two month long trip and stop in all these siberian cities in mongolia and all over china mm -hmm. and just make a, a longer skatementary piece and um that also got onto DVD and um, that was like a big way that I, I guess I got my name out and people saw that, you know, we were trying to see more unknown terrains of skateboarding. But yeah. uh, that, was a, that was definitely the most arduous trip that we put ourselves through. I mean, there was, there was a lot of like really hectic moments on that one, you know. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. But uh, we all got through and it and... Uh, yeah, yeah, 13 hours stand class, but also like a thing that's not part of the documentary is like these Mongolian men tried to like pretty much kill Michel Makrod and, and Danny Hockman. They were like chasing them down in the streets of Ulaanbaatar at like four in the morning with like a, a crowbar. Oh, damn. Because they, they tried to get out of a, a, a taxi without paying correctly. It was on my birthday, too. And then we had to all, like, run out with rocks, try to uh, save them. We were trying to, like, yell their names, and they were hiding on a rooftop. Yeah, there's a lot of wow. stuff that I, I couldn't really film. So um, it didn't really make it into the documentary. But, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a wild one. I mean, a lot of these places have changed now, and they're a bit more safer. But, you know, 2009, it was it's still a bit wild out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you um, basically plan on a trip? Like, do you basically have an idea like, oh, let's just go there? Or uh, basically, how do the ideas for all these trips come about? Uh, are these uh, solely your ideas? Or are there sometimes uh, some of your friends that mention, like, maybe we should go there and do this? Or how, do, how does it work out, basically? It's a combination, for sure. The thing is, like, I'm not paying for all these guys to come on these trips. It was At that time, it was just... 
everyone was curious and everyone wanted all these people who were coming on the visual travel traveling trips they were just very keen on seeing these parts of the world like for example the 10,000 kilometer trip uh, the Trans-Siberian was because uh, I was filming with Michael Makrot for my first DVD called Translations in uh, Vietnam and um, I noticed we we were talking about this article that he read that said that the Trans-Siberian Railroad would stop within the next five years so we pretty much got peer pressured into doing the Trans-Siberian thinking it's going to be done but uh, in the end it was I guess just all rumors because if you really think about it the train connects the entire nation from east to west and, and south, north to south so it doesn't make any sense for the Trans-Siberian to stop but uh, yeah once, once we did that trip if you look on the map you know uh, all the way from Moscow to Hong Kong in one mm -hmm. continuous journey where we didn't take any planes can we keep doing this in a you know clockwise formation around the Eurasian Peninsula and um, we all really love Southeast Asia so the next trip was the Mandalay Express which took us from Vietnam to Myanmar and right. uh, that one was just a given because we wanted to be in that part of the world and uh, wanted to explore a bit more and I was already living in Thailand at that time filming for a skate shop so it just all made sense with the whole ornate idea of having this uh, trip that combines the whole two continents Europe and Asia into one and doing this like circular motion around it so the next trip after that was like South Asia where we went from Bangladesh to Sri Lanka and then we did one with Meet the Stands where we filled in by checking out all the stands in, in between and then uh, one through Persian version where we went through Iran and the Caucasus so so it's just like um, it, it, geographically it, it makes sense when you look at it like it's not yeah not, we, we Random, all wanted yeah. to go to Brazil like it, it wasn't like we didn't want to go to um, South America or somewhere else but we just were really keen on seeing what skateboarding can entail within you know most of Asia that we are all pretty uh, excited to discover. Yeah, and, and kind of connect all your video pieces together and have a sort of coherence uh, throughout your work and uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you mainly traveled through Asia and Europe and so, so you mentioned South America. Uh, maybe that's something we can talk about later, but uh, I know you're focusing more maybe on Africa nowadays. Is that kind of mm -hmm. your, your new continent, so to speak, where you're going to focus m most of your uh, research in the next few years or, or are you going to work all over the world basically? For the Red Bull projects that are, are produced by photographers Sam McGuire and Luke Jackson, who are close friends now that um, have been also very uh, interested of just like seeing more of the upcoming skate youth of the African continent. So mm -hmm. we're just trying to uh, go to places and just tell more of their stories of how skateboarding has shaped their life or, you know, influenced them. So the last, I would say last four years or so started dipping more into uh, Africa and, you know, whereas the visual traveling trips never really took us there. We did at first once planned a really ambitious one where we tried to go all the way from Cairo down to like uh, Cape Town or even oh, just wow. to like Rwanda through okay. like 15 different nations but that never came through because it was just a bit too wild but with the with the Red Bull projects it was just a bit easier because we had a we had a budget and we we could just do a couple little trips here and there like Walker Ryan came on one when we went to South Africa and Namibia mm -hmm. and Lesotho yep. And then uh, we did one in Ghana recently, in Kenya. And there's still so much more to explore in Africa. And there's still these small emerging scenes and ones that also surf, the ones that skate. And 
I think there's just a lot more stories to be told. It's just, yeah. it's just unfortunate that it's like really hard to make it into some of these countries. Like my biggest dream is to go to like uh, Eritrea in Africa. Oh yeah. Chad, but it's just not that easy to to enter these places. So at the moment, I think we're just focused on uh, stories, and I think we got uh, hopefully one coming up in Botswana, one in Rwanda and some more in Western Africa. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll have to see how COVID pans out. And um, there needs to be a bit more attention towards Africa because I, I don't think most people realize, but with the statistics of population growth in Africa, it's, it's just multiplying. Mm-hmm. Like for example, Nigeria is gonna have 410 million people by 2050, which is like the, it's bigger than the size of the United States and like the Caribbeans combined. And it's a small nation. Yeah. And uh, Africa itself will be up to 4 billion by, by the end of this century. So uh, yeah, it's crazy. There needs to be just a bit more um, documentation there and just voices of the youth that are, you know, could, could be in a very competitive state sooner or later in their life when, you know, with the overpopulation. And I think bringing in skateboarding and teaching them different values and, you know, just overall patience and and just even the skill of skateboarding and just for them to have fun. I think it's it's a good way for us to just try to bring it to them. And uh, same what uh, like Nestor is doing too. Like just yeah. uh, try to provide boards for them or at least tell their stories with like short pieces. And uh, mm-hmm. luckily Red Bull has been pretty uh, passionate about that too. So hopefully we can continue next year. Yeah, hope, I hope so too, for sure. And actually, when did um, I was interested in this? Uh, when did Red Bull uh, approach you to uh, work with them? Because I, I I understood that most of your pieces, your first pieces, like the ten thousand kilometer one and everything, the Mandalay Express. I think you did those on your own. Mm. But maybe you had some support from skateboarding brands like Cliche Element, Element or Adidas or stuff like that. But when did um, Red Bull come into the picture? And and what was your initial reaction when you uh, when you first talked? with them let me think first red bull trip i think it was the madagascar trip so that means uh that 20, was uh, 2014 around there yeah, yeah 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 i won like the best european filmer in 2013 they uh gave me more or less a present for pick any country anywhere you want to go with with your friends and okay. uh, make a movie out of it and that wasn't uh, too bad of a deal <laughs> yeah so just looking at the map it was like, all right, where is it going to be really hard to just get tickets to? And Madagascar is just one of those places that is, is just not that easy to fly to. I mean, you can fly there from Paris and some other bigger airports, but it just felt like, okay, let's try to figure out something what, what we won't be able to do again. And, um, and got a bunch of friends to come along. And uh, it was just one of those uh, really special trips that won't be forgotten just because the crew was really good. And it was all new terrain for all of us. Like none of us have been to Madagascar. We haven't seen these huge trees, the baobab trees. And yeah, that was a, that was a blessing. And then, um, and then I think after we did that piece, it had like more than um, 3 million views on the Red Bull YouTube page. And uh, obviously views is what people care about and companies care about. So I think yeah. that was an incentive to just do more. So uh, after that, mm-hmm. they, Red Bull, my boss at the time, Helga, was just asking like, hey, where else uh, would you like to go? And um, it was really great because um, we had freedom to, you know, with the edits too, 
didn't really have to go through too many hands. Like uh, most of the early edits from Red Bull was pretty much how I envisioned it. And um, it wasn't too forced either with the, the can shots. So can't really complain. It was really great. And so it's like two of my, one of my favorite trips, like the Madagascar and Kazakhstan one, those were all from with like very close friends. And, you know, we got to do whatever we wanted, go to the really remote part of Kazakhstan and explore spots by the Oral Sea. It's just, uh, yeah, it was, it was really great. But mm. yeah, it, you know, obviously after like five years, it got a bit more controlled now. Like, you know, now yeah. when we're editing the Africa pieces, it's going through a bit more hands and more eyes. So mm. it's not as easy, but I think that's just the evolution of things. And they're also trying to like hit different markets. So, right. uh, but overall, it's been, uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I was curious about that, about if they asked you like, okay, uh, do you, uh, can you add this much uh, footage of like skaters drinking Red Bull cans or stuff? Or like, uh, should they be wearing, I don't know, logos on their boards or on their clothes or something? Did, did, uh, I was wondering if you had any directives. I don't know if that's the right word in English, but like pretty much uh, telling you what you should do with that. Yeah, the hats. The hats had to be there yeah. <laughs> for, for, the, for the Red Bull riders. Like we always mm. had to have a, one Red Bull rider along, but it was fine because we had like Danny Fan on the team for a while and Barney Page, and for the longest time, like very close friends now. So it was just just hey Barney, uh, you want to come on this trip? And he said yes. Or Modders, you know, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't too difficult uh, as long as we had one Red Bull rider and they had to wear the hat. So, um, I mean, that's their duty from their sponsors. So I think they had to do that. Only, only thing that bothered me was maybe that Red Bull one year figured out that there needs to be a banger at the beginning of the video. Like that's uh, because kids like to see, you know, a straight up handrail trick or something. So they always asked me to edit like the best trick at the beginning of the video. And it was always very cringy for me because I, I like there to be a little bit of a story, you know, development, oh, yeah. slow shots not straight to El Toro, you know, <laughs> so that, that, that was kind of annoying. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that. Like, I don't, I don't want to see crazy stunt tricks at the very beginning of the video. You want to ease into it and progress into yeah. it, kind of, I guess. I mean, that's, that's how skateboarding has always been, so pretty much. So. Got to blame the short attention span of, of the youth today. <laughs> yeah. They can't wait. I don't even know how they do with, like, long-ended cinema pieces, like, You know, like movies these days are like two hours and sometimes like it takes an hour to for the story to develop. But yeah, I guess it's just like it's, it's being consumed, you know, on on phones where there's other yeah. stuff uh, that you can flip through. So no, no, I, I understand as well the, the idea, but like for skaters, uh, for uh, like a core skater audience, I guess it would just feel weird. Like if I saw one of your uh, a, a new piece from you and I saw like a cr crazy stone handrail tricks first and then eventually starting like uh, the skaters walking around a new city or something, I'd be like, what the hell was that? You know, like, why did he put yeah. this all in the beginning and doesn't make much sense? Yeah, I think people tune in for my videos more for like the abstract locations yeah, or, you know, exactly. just the middle of nowhere spots. We used to have the hashtag a long way to go to skate a shitty ledge. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what people I want to see. Not not big bangers, but it's okay. We've we've dealt with it. Yeah, yeah. But so so it seems like Red Bull has let you some creative freedom with your work and let you pretty much do your work like you used to do it before uh, you we work with them. Sure. I used to be the producer on trips as well, where I had to deal with like all the financials and uh, making sure we have money and dealing with the logistics, getting the train tickets. It was hard because I was directing, DPing and, and producing, which is 
on a professional shoot that's almost unheard of because you have three different peoples dealing with that but uh well yeah it got easier over the years because uh especially with the africa pieces like you know like the last time we went to kenya we were just skating uh outside of a police station uh but we didn't know and we were filming and they just grabbed us pulled us into the station and they were saying we we're terrorists because we were filming by a police station and you know luckily <laughs> we had a fixer but even he couldn't do much and they really pulled some strings and they looked through footage they were trying to get something out of us to show that we we're filming by a police station and in the end uh, a bribe worked which kind of sucked that we had to cave into that but yeah it just shows like uh it's it's hard to deal with all of these if you're in charge and luckily we had like uh, our friend Luke and Sam and everyone could deal with it and I was able to just slip into the background and luckily the police officers didn't even see my camera so I was like had it in my backpacks but they were checking through all the other photos and stuff but yeah stuff like this just happens on trips but it's just good yeah. when you have like multiple people and especially locals to like help you out mm -hmm. but in that case we had like the the locals were like 12 year old kids <laughs> Samuel and Balu and yeah it's just hard to uh Hard, these situations just pop up, but yeah. Um, luckily, we got out of that one. And, and so it seems like you, you uh, in many of your videos, you're with pretty much the same crew. There's, there's like a core crew of the visual traveling crew. Like, um, uh, uh, I, I don't know how to say his name. Is it Mi Michael or Michel Macrod? I'm not sure how to say his first name. <laughs> People have a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. In America, it's like Mickey, Mickey Macrod, but in, in German, it's Michael, but I think in French, like, Mi, Mich, I don't know how you guys say Michael I would say uh, Michael, kind of like with a K. Uh, that's how I always sure. wanted to say his name, but like, I, I heard <laughs> you say it differently earlier, and I was like, oh, okay, that's how you say it, but... Oh, yeah, maybe I said it the American way, Michael Macrod. So, so yeah, anyways, like, uh, Michael Macrod, uh, Kenny Reed, Lawrence Keefe, Walker Ryan... Dan Zverev, who also made a lot of the illustrations in the early videos. Yeah. Like, th this seems to be, like, the, the tight core uh, visual traveling crew. But also on every trip, there's, like, uh, newer people that come along. Mm. Is that basically how you try to do it? Like, to keep, like, some friends and, like, some people who have been on previous trips and also bring some mm -hmm. newer people inside and also mix nationalities and backgrounds? Is that how you try to plan it out or...? It was hard because so many times people were always down initially, but I usually send out these long emails and then uh, more or less all these guys you just mentioned, they were just down to buy plane tickets. All of these guys were just really curious too, like curious people intrigued by, you know, finding these uh, skate spots. So we were all in the same boat, you know, we all collaborated where we thought like, you know, we're can we combine like this country like sometimes we would start off going on a trip and we would end up somewhere else you know like when we did meet the stance we were supposed to end it in Turkmenistan but then we didn't get any visas and it's the whole story is in the in the video but you know we ended up in Afghanistan but like we never really knew where we end up and uh these guys were just down for that adventure but um yeah we would sometimes have some new faces just to switch it up a little bit it was just always fun to have some new guys along and some guys yeah. who have not left the, the u.s for the first time i mean i think rob wooden came to kazakhstan and it was his uh second time outside of the u.s he's only been to bahamas i think it was just always it's always fun to just have someone new along so we always yeah. try to get someone else and um yeah from like dave bajinski to casey rigney to yeah uh, there's, there's always been Jer some, Jerry some, some random guys or... yeah yeah well he, yeah he came on the on the motorcycle trip which was vietnam one or uh, yeah. yeah vietnam i think yeah 
the killing season it was called right. yeah that one was a crazy one and uh it was cool to have jerry sue on it i mean he's he's uh one of those guys you know you grew up watching his video parts and just probably one of the most stylish skaters out there and just seeing yeah. him how how he acts how he walks how he rides a motorbike well he wasn't so good at riding motorbikes <laughs> yeah that wasn't his didn't forte he have, like a, an accident or something or yeah yeah he uh he slid out i think right. it was like some kind of wet palm branches or something made him slip out and then one time it was during a tet vietnamese new year where uh someone just cut in front of him but yeah he was definitely excited when we finished the trip in one piece he was uh Relieved. not the most lucky person yeah well i mean there's <laughs> a lot of other people who have done that trip like there's some, a canadian bunch who's done it my close friend tommy Zhao did it with uh some skaters from delaware they finished it too but some other teams like someone got hurt in the middle of the trip and they had to cancel it so not everyone makes it it's it's like you know no one passed away that i know of but on on the streets you would see a lot of really crazy accidents it's vietnam you know there's a uh, no one really really abides by the law and and yeah. everyone is just zigzagging through uh traffic yeah. there's six people on a bike sometimes you know that was a big thing in vietnam we had a little contest between the people doing the trip is like if we ever see six on a bike because you know you would see five people on a bike like a mom and a dad and three kids yeah and then six was only if there was if they were in a bucket the six <laughs> babies in a bucket that's the only way how you can have six on a bike damn but yeah it was uh that one that trip was uh definitely a good one and then we did another motorcycle trip just recently two years ago in the in the mountains north which was just stunning as well and i just got my motorcycle license here finally <laughs> after doing all these crazy trips with no Without a license, license at all <laughs> yeah i i just thought it might as well just make it here so i just passed my test a couple <laughs> weeks ago here oh congratulations <laughs> thank you first try too no yeah that was a really cool piece the vietnam one with uh javier mendisabal was also on that one yeah he's the he's, best he's one of yeah. my favorite skaters like uh i think the first skate video i watched uh, when i was 13 was uh, cliche europa mm -hmm. uh, the, ver the very first cliche video i think it's the very mm -hmm. first and yeah he was definitely one of my favorite ones because he was already very versatile you know like skating street and transition and everything and i always liked skaters who not just stuck to one type of skating but all tried to you know approach different types of skating and and so i was yeah. super hyped to see him on, on one of your trips it was cool oh yeah no it was good we needed some european because that trip was like mainly americans and then I invited uh, Javi and Michael, so mm -hmm. at least we, we tried to balance it out a little bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, it was just awesome to have him. Like I was filming for, with him in Barcelona for uh, one of the cliche videos. I forgot which one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just knew he's just one of those guys you want to have him on a trip. Just very relaxed, super fun. And I mean, his footage is just gold dust. You know, if you get something, you're like very excited. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's still skating a lot. I, I don't. I don't even know if I follow him on Instagram. But like, I remember he did a piece with uh, Thomas Campbell not too long ago, maybe a few years ago. I think Matters was also in yeah. there. Yeah. But that was maybe five years ago or. Yeah, 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 it was all shot on 16. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's pretty much acting in it with Matters, and I think Fred Fred shot it with uh, Thomas, but. Yeah, yeah super Fred, Fred Martin, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, No, I, I remember that one pretty well. So th this is kind of a, a random question, but I was just wondering, um, I, I saw that you went to North Korea at least once or I, I think a few times for your visual traveling trips. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't, I, I, at least I didn't find any skate footage that you shot in the pieces that I saw that you made. But were, were you able to skate when you went there? And uh, how, how, was, how was skateboarding perceived out there? Is there a, a skate scene or is it pretty much uh, like illegal? Or how, how, does it, uh, how is it considered out there? Not illegal, but there's no scene because there's just no skateboards. So yeah, I've been I've been four times, and uh, each time was a bit different with a different objective. Uh, the first time was more or less to just see within the Hermit Kingdom, just to get a glimpse at what North Korean life was at. And mm-hmm. I planned that one with Kenny Reed because at that time he was just also super keen on uh, on going to like you know these places, and we always talked about it. And finally we nailed it down a date and we got on a tour group in 2010 so at that time i don't think anyone has really gone before that actually roamed around the streets of pyongyang and we stepped at it slowly because uh, obviously at that time it was still very um very controlled of even what you can see in pyongyang because yeah the, the capital city is you know the city that the country and the uh, and the government is very uh, propelled to like show the, to the outside world because it's beautiful, it's very well kept. You can't really see poverty. But at that time, you were still not allowed to bring like a, a zoom lens. You were not allowed to shoot outside of the bus. So it was a difficult time to really capture skateboarding and mm-hmm. uh, no professional video cameras at that time. So I couldn't even bring the VX and I was constrained to like an analog camera and like a medium format film camera. So. I was mainly just trying to shoot photos. And at that time, Transworld said they would give me a couple pages. So mm-hmm. I think they ended up giving me four pages in um, one of the issues around 2010. And it was of Kenny skating in North Korea. But yeah, okay. we the main goal was to just at least get one shot of him skating through the city. We got this push on an eight-lane uh, street right by Kim Il-sung Square, which uh, I was really excited about because you can't really get it that easily. And uh, even though the whole uh, country has only 0.1% of people own cars, it's not very populated. But we had two tries at it before our minder was like shouting at us in full scream, like, Kenny, <laughs> come back. And then... Uh, Luckily got the shot and then we got one more time when we got a photo of him tray flipping underneath the Juche Tower. So uh, we got away with some stuff and um, it's just like a really interesting glimpse into a nation that has, you know, not really changed much and hasn't really adapted to capitalistic standards. So yeah, it's very sad when you're there. And, uh, you know, I, I need to emphasize, you know, it's North Korea is like going through hardship and it's not a nation that is, you know, just brainwashed and happy it's it's quite sad actually a lot of the moments when you're there it's like you you wish you know the borders could open or the korean reunify with the south Mm -hmm. but you know there's not much you can do besides you know actually just going and being nice and um you know just seeing what 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 the people are like and uh unfortunately you're not allowed to talk to them it's illegal to talk to north koreans while you're there but plus they don't even speak English. And there's just a lot of rules. You can't leave the hotel room at night. You, you, you know, you're not allowed to roam off by yourself. So mm-hmm. it was really hard, but uh, each time we went, I went with different skaters. We just got away with a bit more. Just, you know, every time it was like a, a layer of an onion, just got a little bit closer of understanding and seeing how, how life was in North Korea. And we found more spots too. So the second time Lawrence was able to grind like a, a small handrail, we got away with the photo there. And then um, the third time we went to a skate park and that's where they introduced us to a local skater, who, which, was, which was this uh, girl dressed up in like very... Um, 
like fancy school uniform and then she she just like pushed around with like uh, one of those skateboards that has just like uh, I don't know what it's called but you like go left and right and it just takes you forward like a snake board oh yeah so yeah, yeah. she wasn't even really skating and then they had one skateboard from probably from the black market in China and uh, my friend did an ollie and, and broke the board just for the job so so we left a bunch of boards there but who knows what's happening to it they're not really against skateboarding the regime and you know uh, the the Kim dynasty more or less the the rulers of North Korea um, they don't really have anything against uh, sports or you know any kind mm -hmm. of like gymnastic activities that uh, skateboarding might entail in their eyes but um, it's not even that it represents westernism or capitalism like uh, I think they, they would be keen to uh, take skateboarding to the next level and I've talked to a bunch of uh, different brands that wanted to bring skateboarding in but no one could really commit like I talked to multiple brands but it's just it's just a bit expensive because you need to get a bunch of permissions and stuff yeah. so it's a bit hard but um, maybe I, I've, I've become a, the board member now for Make uh, Life Skate Life and we're just toying around I just toyed around with the owner Arna saying we should maybe try to go to North Korea and build a park there or something but mm -hmm. it's it looks really difficult but maybe maybe one day so when was the last time you were there? Do you remember what year that was? 2015 was the last one. And uh, there we went to the very remote northeastern part of the country, the Hamyang province. And that one was probably the craziest because it only opened up to tourism just recently before we went. So mm -hmm. there's only been 100 to 200 tourists that went there before. So people were very looking with big eyes when they saw us mm. you know skating on the streets and we actually found like a a big wave to skate and um we got to stay at a north korean home which you can only do in that part of north korea so we stayed okay. with like a family which was obviously pre-coordinated but it was still a yeah. family and you could tell like they were also kind of uh excited slash confused yeah of us staying there but it was uh it was it was quite quite an adventure but um, oh yeah yeah. Can imagine, Luckily, yeah. I mean, some yeah, some crazy stuff happened too, where this French photographer lost one of his cameras, and that's a prison term. Like, you can't lose your camera when you're in North Korea. You can't just misplace it. It's just highly illegal. Like, uh, you could go to prison. And then, luckily, we had an extra undeclared GoPro. Someone accidentally brought in a GoPro, which wasn't written down when you entered the country. Right. And right, right. we were able to swap it out on the exit, so they never noticed that a camera was missing. But yeah, one, one camera was uh, gone. But, uh, but it was unintentional. And poor French guy, he was just like, he was sweating on the way oh, out. Yeah. But uh, luckily nothing happened. This is also kind of a random question and I'm changing subjects a little bit, but I noticed uh, in most of your videos, there's some pretty cool music. And uh, I, I noticed in like uh, the early videos, there were some, I think there were some Rolling Stones, maybe songs or something. <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't say this because Mick Jagger will get me. Yeah, <laughs> he's notoriously known for for making everyone pay. He is okay. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think I ever used Rolling Stones. No, I, w I was just curious about the the music rights. Yeah, that was basically my question. 
Well, for, for when I was making films on DVD, the only way that you could get in trouble is when they figure it out and then you get sued and then they make a cease and desist. So okay. you would just have to stop uh, making more. But usually when we made DVDs, I think for all of my films, I don't think we printed more than two or 3,000 units. So I think okay. that was the maximum. And we did it in one batch. So... You, you really can't run into too much uh, trouble at that time. Plus, I had no money at that time, too. I was just making it from the DVD sales. Yeah. So um, there was no way of getting sued anyway. But, yeah, later on, it was just uh, putting stuff on Vimeo. I think that was the only way to really get away with it because Vimeo allows it, and I think it's just... Vimeo is anyway for a struggling artist to just portray their work so mm -hmm. it's not like you're making money like people do with uh, YouTube these days so got away with that but I mean I, I think we always, always played along pretty well with with musicians that could also feature the work like we used some of the pieces for for like the Adidas uh, the splits we used a song from one of the homies and then um, I think anytime when we worked for bigger brands we just got the music rights paid for it and right uh, sometimes it was easy sometimes it was hard I mean sometimes the like I made a little China edit for Converse and the artist wanted 5,000 USD for three months of usage so it was just like uh, I don't know if that's gonna work yeah <laughs> but I think we actually paid it because uh, Converse really wanted that song but um, that was around the time when Converse was doing pretty well in China but yeah I think it, it, it all depend on the on the companies if they wanted to pay it or not yeah no, no I, I also remember from, from uh, I don't remember which video that's in but it's in one of your earliest ones uh, there's a what's his name I think it's Nolan Lee or something like that who skates to a Nas song and yeah. I was just listening to that and thinking oh damn how, how did he get the music rights for that and did he just barge it like they used to do like in the 90s and uh, in, in like girl videos and stuff or um, yeah I was just curious about that yeah it was like 2008 I was 19 I wasn't really worried about Nas suing me but would have been a good publicity stunt <laughs> yeah but no I, I, I think it Caesar desist would have been the worst, so I I wasn't really worried. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's too bad that today is so controlled because mu like music and skateboarding goes so well together, obviously. And sometimes I see like great skating, but edited to such terrible songs, and I'm like, it's mm. really too bad, you know, that you can't use like a proper musician's work. But like, I I also understand that they need to get paid and make a living. But like, yeah, it kind of sucks. But the songs I use mainly were just like. Persian psychedelic music from the 70s like I don't even know if the artists were yeah. still alive and and I think it, it complemented some of the pieces and I never had anyone be angry or uh, upset really yeah mm -hmm. yeah no for sure so you're like a, a filmmaker so you do many different things more than just actually filming and so I just wanted to ask you what's what's is there something that you like to do better than the rest do you like filming or shooting photos or like editing videos uh, what what is uh, your favorite thing to do basically on, on your different projects I would say editing is definitely on the lower end <laughs> <laughs> It's just because it's so time consuming and especially with like 4K quality and my computer just being old, it just takes forever. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think I get the most kick out of uh, being in a new environment. Let's just say just flying into a new nation that I've uh, you know never been in and just taking out the camera and not having a storyboard because these days I'm doing a lot of commercial work and they want a storyboard from the beginning. And I just like when you can just uh, emerge yourself in a new environment and just 
press record and just see what happens and uh, more or less like a verite style of filming mm -hmm. which I've also like uh, recently adapted to because um, since since I've been stuck here with COVID in Hong Kong since like like I said 450 days now I had to also focus my energy and passion into like other things because I couldn't just like you know focus on skateboarding because the scene is very small here and mm -hmm. I am but uh, I got asked to help shoot this movie for Showtime um, this documentary about uh, the Sophia robot maybe you've heard of her she's like an AI robot built by David Hansen and um, she got okay. Saudi citizenship UAE citizenship yeah so I uh, I've learned a lot from that process too of just how to shoot very uh, like fly in the wall style and just uh, let your uh, roam of what you're pointing your lens at just a scene happen out of nowhere instead of directing of you know telling people to do something or yeah or uh, waiting for you know something to happen you're you're there patiently and so that whole project is still ongoing still okay been filming it for a year now and um, there's just been a lot of different style different things like popping up the last couple of years too that are enticing me again like 16 millimeter i picked up a 16 millimeter camera again okay uh, for a short time i went to uni in, in london and i i would uh borrow a 16 millimeter camera to film around southeast asia but i had to return it just bought a recently uh a bolex again and been developing film at home black and white and color and just documenting the city because hong kong is changing a lot too so it's been fun just uh going back to its like primitive nature of filmmaking you know like splicing the film like i'm actually like cutting scenes out you know with with a scissor mm -hmm. instead with the mouse so loving the whole process of uh, analog filming again too so i think yeah. i just um step back put traveling on on hold for now and just let my other passions kind of come to life and and i think uh that entails a bit more documentary filmmaking too but also we've been doing a lot of commercial work for our production house here too so just coming up with small concepts so cool. it's not not been a boring year and luckily hong kong's also been like during this whole covid crisis and pandemic it's been locked down but uh mm -hmm. you could more or less uh move around freely we never had a lockdown like a literal lockdown where, where you yeah. couldn't leave the the house like there was, mm -hmm. there was times when you couldn't be in a restaurant or the restaurants were closed or the beaches were closed but we could always roam around the city still so i explore, explored a lot i found a lot of really cool spots and that's pretty much what i'm gonna try to do with uh nestor like he was saying right yeah you, you're working Walker on a project with him yeah well uh hopefully once once borders are open all of these guys already like said yes they would come out some of them already had tickets too but okay. yeah we wanted to just film like a, a piece here in hong kong because you know the spots here in hong kong are not known for being easy like if you if you go just across the border i mean i can take a bus in in an hour and be in shenzhen and it's 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 easy but mm -hmm. here it's just really hard the colonial times have really left crusty spots for the skaters to digest here and um i just found a lot of really unique looking spots and i just trying to film a, a piece here that will hold its time and just really show the diverseness of of hong kong because you know it's everyone thinks it's just a vertical city but yeah. it's 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 filled with nature too and there's a lot of really unique spots that have natural twists to it you know like rocks and just uh really interesting greenery surrounding and then hopefully have like some creative skaters come come over like you know i don't know if you met phil Sweezen. yeah uh, I've never met him, but I know of him, yeah. Yeah, you know, he can skate the rain, he can, uh, or Gosha, he can skate on snow, you know, like, uh, most, of, most of the guys who came on visual traveling trips, like, 
are pretty good at uh, skating adapting uh, stuff that's not really made for skating yeah exactly so hopefully these guys can come out by the end of the year maybe early next year we'll see cool yeah that would be awesome so so Nestor is supposed to come walker as well yeah walker Sibo walker as well who just had a baby but um we'll see jasper from thailand He's a friend as well who writes for Preduce, a skate shop that I used to film for. Okay. And then um, we also have modders interested coming, Michel Makrot, my friend Toby Olbrich, and then just like a bunch of friends from, from the U.S. as well, and then just mm -hmm. uh, Russians, like the old visual traveling crew yeah. all combined. Some Japanese skaters, uh, Lawrence, Keith, but he just had a baby too. Yeah, so I saw that, yeah. Popping mm -hmm. babies left and right. Yeah. So we'll see who can come out. Yeah, hopefully film something strong again like i feel like the last stronger skate piece i did was the splits with lawrence in japan and the adidas team and yep. that one was cool because uh, i noticed like filming all these skatementaries it's just hard to get creative because you're already submerged in this like new culture and you just have to digest being there and understanding your surroundings whereas you know when you can only focus on skating you can you can create so much more and yeah. uh, with the splits we had time and uh it, it i think it turned out pretty fun and mm. I, i just want to create something like that here in hong kong because it's uh it's a special place for me now we've my wife and i've been here for four years so it's uh, okay. became home and um hopefully it works out no absolutely i look forward to seeing that and uh, actually uh so you said you just said you were you've been in hong kong for four years and before that you were already living in asia right yeah Yeah, yeah. So more or less around the time when we did uh, 10,000 kilometers, when uh, when we arrived in Hong Kong at that time, I actually went to a uni here for a half a year. Okay. And then I was still studying in the UK. And then I got offered a job in Thailand by my friend Simon. So I moved out to Bangkok and then that became more or less my home for quite a while. And I was bouncing around between Shanghai, Shenzhen and then just being a nomad yeah. but uh bangkok has always been like a home since since like the late 2000s okay so was living there with my wife for a couple years and then after a while just flat cities get on your nerve a little bit it was also the traffic bangkok is is, is known for its like very congested traffic and I think it's just missing the mountains, nature a little bit, and Hong Kong has it all, like uh, beaches. Some beaches are like could be mistaken for the ones in the Maldives. Like it's mm -hmm. really unique here. So I, I, I'm actually glad I got stuck here. But yeah, 450 days is a bit too much. Like yeah, if, yeah. If we, I can't wait to roam around a little bit more. But uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a a, a wild time, Term, turbulent time to to be here because with the whole yeah the political crisis as well years. and yeah. I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Uh, what has been your experience, basically, of uh, of all these protests and everything that's going on uh, with China? It's just sad to see an, an era come to an end uh, for Hong Kong because, uh, you know, with the, the one country, two systems, it just mm -hmm. meant that Hong Kong enjoys its uh, democratic freedom till 2047. Right. But um, I, think, I think China interpreted that treaty a bit differently. They, they saw it as a transition. So I think for them, it was just uh, once the protesters were trying to uh, extradite or they were trying to get rid of this extradition law, they just saw it as a way to also uh, bring a bit more stability into the country by imposing a bit more stricter laws. So um, it's sad because you see some companies leaving, like uh, Vans just left Hong Kong. They, they're moving to Shanghai. And um, some other, I think New Balance also closed up here. So like 
if you just go back in time three years ago, it, the mood was much different than now. Yeah. Like it, it just feels a bit more dystopian. But but you know, if you I'm, I'm looking at the window right now, and it's just everyone is just still doing their daily hustle. I think Hong Kongers in general are just like very strong, individual-minded people, and they're driven by a lot of things. And and I think they they can they can just keep hustling. But it's definitely a, a weird time. I think there's like a lot of uh, geopolitical changes happening around the world. I think you can see it all over the world. You know, I'm a little worried, but uh, staying optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see. Do you plan on staying in Hong Kong, or 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 do you think you'll eventually leave as well and go somewhere else? Or work-wise, it makes sense to stay here, and also I just want to like still do some more projects here. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I can obviously see in the near future my wife and I moving to somewhere else. We we're toying around with the idea of moving to Georgia, the country in the Caucasus region. Oh yeah, just just because we we love it over there, and I've been many many times because it had a couple de facto countries that I needed to uh, check out for the Eurasia project. Mm-hmm. Beautiful mountains, wine, very good food, yep. great people. The writing system is interesting. The history. So yeah, it's just toying around with ideas. Maybe, maybe there, um, and then obviously maybe somewhere in Europe or Australia, because my wife is from from uh, New South Wales and okay uh, in southern Australia. So we'll see. We're still young, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've been filming skateboarding for like a long, long time now, fifteen years or maybe twenty. So uh, do do you still today? Do you still watch skateboarding videos every now and then? Do you still pay attention to what's going on in the skateboarding world, like the new videos that are coming out and stuff like that? Or I still watch it. I I, I find myself going on on various websites like Free or Thrasher or, or whatnot mm-hmm. and just just scrolling through. But now it's just like you know. Whereas back in the day, I was confined to photosynthesis, manic Maddie, or you know all these videos on VHS. I think it's just different these days. You watch something once, unfortunately, maybe sometimes twice. If you watch it three times, it's an Emmy in the skate world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't really um, get too excited. Besides, if I see friends, I think if it's it's like oh new modders part or you mm-hmm. know michi is doing one of his uh, fishing lines, fishing lines uh, that, yeah. that we used to start and we did back in the days or or walker is still very active on a board or the evison crew in japan i think it's just more or less like the people in the crews that gotten into my life uh, for the last 15 years like if i see them still ripping then then i get excited uh, yeah. I think that's that's what speaks to me the most but i also get really excited when i see and competitive too when i see like people going to like very remote parts of you know India or somewhere else where we like to go to and I'm like hmm what did they find you know what did we miss or sometimes when people go to like I don't know places that we have been to before and then they find spots and like ah damn it how do we not find that spot or yeah. I often have that with Michi because Michi went to some spots in uh, Kenya and then we went afterwards and he, he skated some that we didn't find but his video came out later so um, I look at it like a healthy way of uh of exploration is uh, finding just these stairs, ledges, gaps, anything, you know, for skating that, that you can make skatable. And it's just fun. Like, uh, you know, when, when we went, like, oh, so many times when we just go to random places, like that, that Edge of Arabia trip, that one was like when we're skating amongst the dragon blood trees in Yemen yep. during an, uh, a civil outbreak. That one was like just endorphins the whole time. You know, <laughs> like you woke, you, we woke up in tents every day close to the beach where sometimes Somali pirates strand to get petrol. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just exciting. It's just I, I get excited if, if I see something like that, you know, when people like really go out of their way. 
to get some good skateboarding. Mm -hmm. But also Hong Kong. If I see nowadays when I see some some people skating, like the the youth here in Hong Kong has been exploring for spots too, and uh, I get very uh, intri intrigued seeing uh, what they have found because it's pretty big. So Hong Kong has a lot of like little hidden spots. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Is there like um, a video that you remember seeing not too long ago, like a, like a f kind of a full length skate video, but a recent one that you watched and that got you psyched on skating a little bit, or do, is there something that comes to mind? Full length? No, I know there is. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wish okay. I had. I wish I had a good answer. Mosaic, <laughs> photosynthesis, or <laughs> those I still watch. Like um, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, those are those are the videos I go back to. Like whenever I have a nostalgia night, and yeah. um, let's say it's raining, and uh, I'm just home home alone and uh, wanting to see some skating, I just I just go back to the old videos that speak to me, that bring me back to those times. Like. Like, you know, obviously skateboarding changes, but, you know, everyone is going to cherish the skateboarding of their own era, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's also a bit boring watching the old stuff because, yeah, it's kind of good to see some new stuff as well. But, yeah, um, nothing nothing too recently. But, uh, oh, maybe mm -hmm. uh, Spirit Quest was really good. Oh, that was oh, a yeah, couple yeah. of years ago. Mm -hmm. Yep. That one was really good. Um, I just liked the special effects and uh, and mm -hmm. it was just the concept was very strong. So I think that that spoke to me. Yeah. All right. So I, I have just one one last question. As I told you, I talked with Nestor and Walker about doing this interview with you and they, they told me I should ask you about a few things. Mm. Basically, Nestor asked me, what is the most extensive nature mission you have gone on while on a skate trip? <laughs> <laughs> that could have also been from Walker because both of those guys tease me about that, that I turn uh, skate trips into uh, to nature. Sometimes I don't succeed. And Namibia was one where I just I, uh, I was fighting with Sam McGuire so we could check out these trees in the Namibian desert. But it's, yeah, it's oddly enough, always trees for some reason. There's just some yeah. very beautiful trees that you don't see elsewhere. You know, in, in Yemen, it was the dragon blood trees. And mm -hmm. in Madagascar, it was the baobab trees. And why fly through 10 airports to get to this remote location and then not check out one of its most beautiful, uh, you know, features? So I definitely made a lot of not linear trips where the skaters were a little, why are we going uh, uh, through a 15-hour detour to get here? Most of the times, it, they enjoyed it. Like, you know, even with Nestor, we went to these canyons that were really hard to get to in Kazakhstan, close mm -hmm. to the Caspian Sea. And in the end, everyone kind of enjoyed it because we got stuck in the desert and with the, on, on these muddy roads. In the end, everyone enjoys like an adventure if we get out safely, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's been many uh, nature driven trips trying to think what was the most extensive probably going to Socotra in Yemen just because there was a Houthi uprising so pretty much the president of Yemen at that time Ali Abdullah Saleh got uh, ousted from his presidential palace and we were watching this on the news while we were in Oman okay and then we fly over to Yemen and with some complications our uh, boards and our all of our luggage got stuck in Jordan for some reason. And uh, we arrived in the capital. 
that was quite scary actually too because uh there was bombings happening in sana'a but not at the airport but it was just a bit sketchy mm -hmm. but we were waiting for a flight to go to sokotra the next day and uh we didn't have our boards we didn't have any clothes and then luckily our russian friend arrived from russia and he met us there and he had no idea he was signed up for one of these like trips uh he's like oh my god there's like people with kalashnikovs everywhere <laughs> and like everyone has swords like he was uh, <laughs> totally out of his element but but he loved it and then uh luckily he had some extra sweaters and stuff so we were had to sleep on like the marble ground at the airport and we're freezing and then yeah. luckily the next day we had a, a flight to Sokotra and there we didn't have no one had skateboards besides the Russian skater Gosham so okay. we got into this uh pickle too because I only had two batteries on me the battery charger was stuck in my luggage so oh. we were on this remote island that was really hard to get to super you know extensive uh, research and fixing like uh, it, I was planning it for a year mm -hmm. and then I didn't have batteries I had two uh, Sony batteries that died really quickly so we were filming that whole intro when Gosha skates around those uh, trees in the edge of Arabia pretty much on two batteries till yeah. our luggage arrived on the last day so uh, every time I shot a trick it had to be one try it was almost like shooting with film but yeah that that trip was as far as one can go just because we had to go through a, a civil war more or less yeah. to get to these trees and they're they're just really unique they look like mushrooms and uh i don't know have you seen these trees before uh, no have you no. seen a photo of them oh okay. I, I don't they're think the, so yeah I sh i'll check it out but yeah it's called the video is called the edge of arabia because we, we got to the point where we only had the arabian peninsula left mm -hmm. and uh saudi arabia was at that point a big no no go zone for tourism you know we, we just couldn't enter there's, there's no way not even through skateboarding nothing but mm -hmm. uh we we're like all right let's let's check out oman yemen jordan palestine israel and uh lebanon but uh yemen was definitely the one that uh we we wanted to that was a pine uh the pinnacle of the trip for the trees and uh, yeah yeah i think uh i think uh uh, everyone liked it because we were camping we had fresh fish we saw dolphins wow. it was great but we, we didn't have batteries so we everything more or less had to be kept in our memory bank and uh yeah just in our brains like we couldn't really film too much but i think the fourth day or the third day our, our luggage arrived and then we had boards but um yeah if you ever watch the intro for the edge of arabia there you can see us just like roaming around the the island of uh, socotra and uh, those trees are just crazy. You cut them open and it's all red inside. It's hollow and it's red. And they only have them in, uh, in, on this small island, like pretty much right next to Somalia almost. Okay. So um, that was definitely one A of highlight. the crazier ones. Yeah. 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 That's sick. Uh, Nestor said you, you, you love trees and trains as well. Is that also ah. something? <laughs> oh, oh, don't get me started on trains. <laughs> I adore a long train. I, I mean, it puts me to sleep. I don't know. I think maybe because I'm uh, maybe now thinking about it. I never really thought about why I like it so much. But I'm always just filming uh, when, whenever we are on these skate trips. And then the only time when I can film skating is on the train. So whenever we had these trips, like in Meet the Stands or Persian mm -hmm. Version or almost on every trip that we did, we had these long train rides, but 10,000 kilometers the most. Yeah. Because that was actually 10,000 kilometers of train rides. But it's, it was always a time to unwind, uh, mingle with the locals, play mm -hmm. cards, crack open a, a bottle of wine or some beers and just just look at the scenery around you. And it's, and it's always these old like Soviet cars that you have to get boiling water from to just heat up your soup. It's just uh, very photogenic. It's always very fun 
whenever every five hours or so it stops or a couple hours and then you can get off for 10 minutes and mm -hmm. just uh, roam around and uh, everyone is just very friendly and you just have a great time and, and people who are tired from skating for the last seven days they just sleep the whole time so it's just it's just like a win-win I think um, any skate trip should have a long train ride in it or to uh, relax and else. chill yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's why um and and it's just like uh it's just a nice way to get around like i i don't get me wrong i i want to take planes as much as i can because you save time but yeah but the thing is when you're actually doing it on tracks and you you see the borders change and and uh it's just fun i don't know i like it no it's sick yeah no i, I totally get it it's uh i, I actually want to go on the um, trans-siberian train some, someday uh with my dad i'd like to do that with him oh great Yeah. So yeah, hopefully we you can should. do that sometime. Yeah, that would be cool. Let me know. I can I can give you some insight. Train tickets you can even buy online these days, and you can pick which destinations you want to stop at. Yeah, it's quite easy nowadays. It used to be difficult back in the days because it's just a lot of paperwork and bureaucratic loopholes in getting tickets. I mean, we were stuck at train station for hours back in the day. Like mm -hmm. poor Kirill Kirill Korobkov, our Russian friend and slash fixer. The trouble he had to go through it's just you know soviet era is not known for easy uh paperwork i mean it's just you have to fill out a bunch of stuff and it's just wasn't easy but it, it gotten better so i mean recently went back to russia with kirill for down the volga trip and uh noticed again like the, the country is changing a lot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Nestor also mentioned Kirill uh, about how he's been extremely helpful on many of the trips you did uh, especially oh. through uh russia yeah Oh, I, I, I can't give my gratitude more to that man yeah. than uh, half of the Eurasia project. Not half, but let's say a good portion of it would have not been really possible without him. He's just, mm -hmm. he became one of my closest friends and uh, we just have the best time together because I think we have very similar goals. Like both of us just really get a high out of being in a really obscure place and we just take pleasure in, in just seeing odd things. And he's just, he's just really down to go anywhere. I mean, when I was going to Pakistan, I was for the Eurasia project because I was missing an image and uh, I, you know, financially he's not like, he's not bawling, he's not He, he can't really afford you know buying multiple plane tickets a year but he always made an effort to like help out and we went to iraq together he just jumps on board very easily he definitely has just a, a wild imagination and just loves anything that uh is outside of russia or inside i mean he's he's helped so much with like you know russian-speaking countries and i've been to, with him multiple multiple times in georgia and like all these other russian-speaking countries and it would have been almost impossible without mm -hmm. him because he just knows how to like talk to like higher ups and stuff where i sometimes i might panic like in tajikistan at the airport like they tried to bribe his watch like the customs official wanted to get his watch but he just played dumb but he's just really <laughs> good with uh dealing with the uh, authority he just knows how negotiating to, uh, how to and talk. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so he's helped a lot and it's just always good times he's a big part of visual traveling That's why we did the Down the Volga trip. It was more like an ode to him and mm -hmm. to visual traveling with Kirill's help because without him, it wouldn't have been possible. And we went down the Volga. We checked out his grandpa, who's an artist in, uh, in the, in the Cheboksary region of Russia. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's all these little ethnic minority groups in Russia that the people don't really know about. So a lot of, uh, a lot of random traveling with that man. Yeah, yeah. And just one last question from Walker. Uh, he's, he asked, what's your favorite Georgian meal and why? 
Uh, he knows the answer to this. It's of course I would want to say the hachapuri, which is the cheese-filled bread shaped like an uh, like a boat that has egg and cheese in the middle, and you like mix it up. It's okay. like the the pizza, the pizza of the Caucasus region. But kinkalis are these big dumplings. I'm a big fan of those. But uh, there are these like eggplant dish that has a pomegranate on the top. Pudra. Ah, I forgot the name of it, but um, that's that's also one of the classics. Whenever you go to like a Georgian restaurant. Mm-hmm. What are some of the countries you haven't been to yet that are on your bucket lists for for the future? I think I want to go back to more places. Like uh, just talking about Georgia, I want to go back to Abkhazia. Mm-hmm. Abkhazia is a small de facto country just on the western side of Georgia, and uh, it took a long time for me to be able to go within the the small nation. Two times rejected, and you have to walk through this like a bridge with like donkeys taking people across, and it's you know one of those things you just notice like modernity is is not everywhere and you got to appreciate it too that you know when people still you know use primitive ways of getting around and just DC borders too mm-hmm. but they're also a bit sketchy i remember crossing through abkhazia was a, a sketchy one but um i would love to go back to abkhazia georgia obviously just like see my friends that i've made along these trips like you know in, in iran we skated with the skater called mj and i just want to see how he's doing i would love to yeah. go back to tehran i would love to go back to some of these places like bhutan but i think i'm trying to yeah. go with kenny and Nestor next year anyway but uh I think more for for Africa it's like like I said Eritrea would be a great mm-hmm. one to go to and then go back to like Cape Town and Brazil has always been on the list you know yeah I've never been to South America so that's kind of a feel ashamed for that for never stepping foot in South America somehow just never the opportunity never came up not even with Red Bull plus There's other, you know, uh, producers who were doing projects there. So there was never a call for me to go there. Mm-hmm. But I would just love to uh, go to Brazil. I've just been listening to a lot of, like, Brazilian samba music. And I just love Portuguese and how it sounds. And I just would love to check out Rio. Because uh, yeah. there's not many cities like Hong Kong. There's, like, Cape Town, there's San Francisco, and there's Rio and Hong Kong that are, like, built on, on mountains. So right. I just would love to see how uh, Rio is, like, maybe if Clarivel invites me one day. Mm-hmm. I have a very, very last question, and just because sure. that one is, is somewhat important because it's uh, basically the, the whole idea of this podcast is to talk about skateboarding and things around it, but I've observed uh, since uh, the last 20 years since I started skating in 2000, a very big evolution of skateboarding, and it's going to become a, an Olympic sport next summer with the Tokyo 2021 Olympics. And it's just very surreal to see how it's progressed and to see like uh, American pro skaters have Nike deals and Red Bull, you know, becoming a very big actor in in all of this business and in in this industry. And I was just curious to know what you what your thoughts were about uh, on that, on like the evolution of skateboarding and maybe on the Olympics that are going to happen in a few months from now. What what is your general opinion about that? Are you like all for it or are you a little bit concerned about how it might standardize skateboarding in a way or what are your thoughts about that i wish i had an interesting point of view on this but i i think i'm just waiting to see how it pans out 
I don't really, I'm not going to fall into panic mode like how some friends were where it's like, no, this is going to destroy skateboarding. No, I just, I just don't really care that much for that kind of skating. That's not right. really what I, what I really appreciate. But, mm -hmm. but I think if it helps for, let's say, higher ups and authority to recognize skateboarding a bit more and we can get away with skating, let's say, a spot in India because he's seen it on uh, the Olympics, you know, his or the police officer has has seen it or or the security guard and he thinks it's cool if it's if that's the case i'm all for it like i i'm just thinking as long as it helps street skating then it's then it's fine like i mean the obstacle and the point system is not really what i'm used to for skateboarding that's not how i grew up with it but i think yeah most of the people that you're interviewing are gonna have that point of view uh especially yeah. the older ones but I'm, i'm sure the younger maybe the younger guys have like a different take on it but uh i'm very uh unbiased to it just observing it from the outside i'll probably watch it i'll check mm -hmm. it out I'm, i'm curious to see what they're gonna do but it's also gonna be cringy and i'm sure yeah. i'm gonna <laughs> roll my eyes but as long as tim o'connor is commentating it then uh then i think we're we're good <laughs> is he is he gonna no no i don't i don't know <laughs> I, i wish that would be no, so I, cool I yeah <laughs> i mean i'm, that would I'm be hilarious. putting the word out yeah He was one of my favorite skaters growing oh, yeah. up. For sure, yeah. He's amazing. And he's the, he's the funniest dude, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As long as they can put, put humor into it. But yeah, I don't know if Japan is really used to sarcasm. So <laughs> I don't know if that's going to really work out. But we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Hire Tim. It should be a campaign. Hire <laughs> Tim for the Olympics. That's cool. We're going to launch a hashtag or something. Yeah, like uh, hire, oh, please hire do. Tim O'Connor. Yeah, it. that would be yeah. so sick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, I, uh, like, I, like you said, I, I agree with you, and I, I'm not really looking forward to it in the sense that it's not the kind of skating that I really enjoy as much. But I'm, I'm curious as well to see how it turns out and how you know, like the U.S. team, the French team, and all the other countries will perform. You know, and uh, who will go mm. skate there? Like, yeah, it's just going to be in, an interesting development. But yeah, you know what? You know, if it if it ends up getting parents in China or elsewhere that mm -hmm. looked at skateboarding like uh, a rebellious activities for them to let their kids to start skate then it's a positive thing you know if it, yeah. if, it if it if it encourages kids to skate and they you know they do their uh research and and look in the history books and you know don't forget that street skating is a thing then then mm -hmm. it's fine and i've seen kids at the parks here that are really young and they're ripping and, and you can tell like uh some gonna embrace it some won't it's just it's just gonna be a bit divided but uh yeah. we'll see maybe uh Like I said, Tim. Tim, Tim yeah, for announcer, yeah, yeah. and we're good. We're good. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's, that's a great way to uh, end this conversation. Uh, thank you very, very much, Patrick. It was really, really nice talking to you. It was, it was fun talking to you. Yeah, all the, all the luck with the podcast. Thank Looking you. Looking forward to uh, hearing more of it. And mm -hmm. um, hope France and Europe gets rid of this pandemic and then uh, borders yeah. are open. And I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch up sometime in person. That's it for my conversation with Patrick. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Go check out some of his amazing videos on his website patrickwalner.com. Follow him on his Instagram account at visualtraveling and keep an eye open for some of his new projects. Thank you for listening to this episode. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards. <laughs>